Heavenly Father, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word and how by it you encourage us, edify us, and warn us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our minds to the text. Help us to see and understand the problem of our sin and the beauty of your gospel in these words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I know that you all have been uh, going through a series of sermons called Hope for Hard Cases. And uh, this may seem a little bit odd as a text for that sermon series. I hope as we start to go through it, you'll understand where I'm going in my uh, crazy mind. Um, But today, I want to just lean in for a minute on a few words that Jesus says here. there's a psalm because uh, it says rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. These words are hard. <laughs> uh, they're hard for me. Um, they may be hard for you. Uh, especially over the last few years, I think um, we have seen so much suffering and trial and difficulty that the idea of rejoicing actually is a pretty rough thing. We see God's hand, his providence, um, working, and we don't really understand. And we're like, what the heck, God? (laughs) Like, I'm actually supposed to rejoice in the middle of this? How does that work? I was reflecting on my walk uh, with Jesus as I was writing this sermon. Um, Sometimes when I reflect on my walk with Jesus, it's healthy. Uh, Most of the time it's not. And I realized that I had changed a lot over the last five years, and not in a good way. Uh, I asked my family, which, uh, dads, if you're here, uh, if you ask your family this question, just be prepared. Um, I asked my family, have I changed over the last five years? And if so, how? And immediately, certain members of my family said, uh, yes, you have. You're far less joyful than you used to be. And that rung true. They were right. I had lost this idea of Christian joy. I would let the suffering that I'd gone through, I'd let both my successes in work and my failures in my life guide where I was going for joy. I had lost sight of the truth of Christian joy. And instead of looking at God as my loving father who gives me the things that I need, I became suspicious of him, waiting for the other shoe to drop. I wonder if you can identify with that. I wonder if you know what that's like. You see, Jesus is telling his disciples um, something that's so much more than living a life that's marked by fear or sadness or happiness or success. He's drawing them to see this eternal truth, this beautiful truth, that in the midst of their success, He's giving them something to ground themselves. In the midst of their failure, he's giving them solid ground to stand on. A place 
where joy lasts. And he's doing that for you today, now, through his word. He's coming to you, and he says to you that in the middle of your emotions, your sadness, your stress, your happiness, your success, that there's something better than all of that. There's something truer than all of that. Something that holds you, that will hold your heart to give you a place to stand. And that's what we're going to look at today. Um, We're going to dive really deeply into verse 20. This place where Jesus tells us to rejoice because our names are written in heaven. But before we get there, it's helpful for us to take a step back and look at the context of what's going on here. Um, Jesus has sent out the 72. Right, they're going out, and just to give you a little bit of a picture, kids, this might be helpful for you to like imagine this. There's about 100 people here, so you take about 25 people like this section here, and you tell them to leave, and then the rest of the church, Jesus sends those folks out two by two in pairs to go to all of Israel and begin to proclaim the good news. Now, that may be hard to grasp, so let me like, bring it home a little bit more. All of Israel is like twice the size of Los Angeles. It's a little bit over four times the size of San Diego. So imagine all these people here sent out to minister to all of San Diego, proclaiming good news. The Messiah has come. And those folks, they come back, and it's amazing, right? Like their minds are blown. They're, they're fired up. They're like, Jesus, you got to hear. you gotta, you got to know what's going on, as if Jesus didn't know already. But um, they come back, and they're so excited. They're like, Lord, demons are subject to us in your name. Now, we may not grasp onto that very much because we don't really deal with demons very often around here, at least none that we like see. But I'll tell you a story. One time I was in Africa, and um, I was riding in a car. We were there planting a church in a small, uh, a small village right outside, right outside of Lake Victoria um, in Uganda. And we're there, we're riding in this van, and we think it's like, the core people of the group, right? It's like pastors, missions team, and then a translator. Now, while we're driving, this translator starts to experience like a horrendous headache, like to the point where she's weeping. The headache is so bad. Then she starts talking. And now we've been with this lady for two weeks. Like we know what her voice sounds like. She starts talking, and it's clearly not this lady. And she starts saying things that are clearly not coming from her. They're coming from something else. Startling. Fearful. Now, when we got to where we were going, she was ushered into a room. All the pastors went in and prayed for her. Demon possession. 
scary stuff. And these 72 come back and they're like, Lord, in your name, we can cast these things out. Isn't that amazing? And look at what Jesus says. If you have your Bibles, look down at them. Verse 18, he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. I mean, think about that for a moment. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the comedian Brian Regan and his like, I walked on the moon bit. If you haven't, then you should watch it. It's amazing. Like Jesus isn't trying to me monster the disciples. You know like what a me monster is? It's like when someone starts telling a story and then someone else is like, oh yeah, I've got a better story. And then someone else is like, oh, well you should hear what I do, right? They're just trying to draw attention to themselves. Like that's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is genuinely happy for them. He's happy because he's seeing the things that are wrong in the world being made right, right? Demons being cast out. People being brought into salvation into a right relationship with God. And he's like, I saw Satan fall from heaven, cast out. You'll be able to walk on scorpions and serpents. Now, snakes don't scare me too much, but scorpions? Scorpions freak me out with their like little legs and their stingy thing. Like that weirds me out. Jesus is like, you can walk on those things and not be afraid because all of the implements of the devil aren't gonna work against you. You have authority. Now, as, an, as one of the 72, right, if you are anything like me, you'd be like, yeah, here we go. Like, let's have some fun, you know? Let's get out there. Let's, let's go. Let's do this. And you'd take pride in the work you were doing. And you'd be right to. I mean, it's a good thing to see through your labor Satan's kingdom being overthrown. But Jesus says, don't ground your hope and your happiness, and your success, or your failure. You see, if you're like me, when you go and you talk to someone about Jesus, and they hear it, and they receive it, and you've done a good job, you can live off of that high. You're like, yeah, right on. If you're also like me, when you go and you can't find the right words and you sound like a complete moron, you're like, am I actually a Christian? <laughs> Worse than that, when you wake up in the morning and you read your Bible and you pray, you're tempted to think to yourself, I'm doing good. when you miss a few days or a few weeks or a few months and you're kind of dragging yourself into church, you can be tempted to think to yourself, does God actually love me? Does he care? 
Jesus meets you in verse 20, and he says this. First word we're going to look at, rejoice. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice. Because your name is written in heaven. First word is rejoice. True Christian joy. Do you know the difference between joy and happiness? Have you ever thought about that? Like joy, joy is one thing, happiness is another. Um, Brian and I were just talking on our way in about my truck. I love my truck. I have a, I have a 1999 Toyota Tacoma. It almost has 200,000 miles on it. I'm re I really love my truck. Um, I can remember when we were thinking about buying the truck, I thought about the truck, right? I was like, I gotta have this truck. If I have this truck, I'm gonna be so stoked. It's wonderful. It's gonna be great. And then I bought the truck and I was like, yes, truck. And then on my way home, someone was looking at their cell phone and rear-ended me in the truck. Happiness turned to sadness instantaneously. It turned to frustration. It turned to anger. All in a moment. You see, happiness is good, but it's also fleeting. It comes and goes based on our circumstances. Joy is something completely different. Joy is this internal steadfastness, this rooted settledness about who you are and who God is and who you are in light of who God is, who he's making you to be. You see, it's joy in Christ that holds you fast through the storms, through temptations, through afflictions. It's less about your emotions and more about your standing. And even though your emotions affect your joy, your joy is a state of being. It's who you are. There's a great example of this in my life. I'm sure you could think of people in yours, but there's a woman in my life who has had cancer over and over and over again. And every time, um, it's like incredible sadness, questioning whether this is gonna be the time that the cancer is not gonna go away, immense pain, and then thankfully it goes away, and then it comes back. And it's back through that again and again and again. And yet, in the face of her circumstances, Kirsten is one of the most joyful women I've ever met. It's not that she walks around happy all the time. You know the Christian happy face you put on before you come to church? Like the, ha, ah, everything's great, when in reality your inner world is like a total dumpster fire? Ah. It's not that. What it is is a realization that Christ is for you. And if he's for you, who can stand against you? Who can separate you? What can separate you from his love? You see, that's joy. The Christian who is growing in this sort of joy doesn't spend so much time looking in the mirror, but instead, the Christian who's growing in this sort of joy looks outside of him or herself 
to the cross and the empty tomb and the ascended Christ and finds their joy there. Second word, second phrase, your name. Have you ever tried to remember a person's name and you just can't for the life of you? <laughs> I do that all the time. I look at people and it's like, I know I know you, but I don't remember your name. Uh, this was really clear to me a couple of uh, months ago. I was preaching at an OPC church in Temecula and uh, a woman came up to me and she's like, Joel, it's so great to see you again. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> It's great to see you. How are you? You know, like fishing for details. How, how's the family? You know, tell me where you're living now. About 15 minutes into the conversation, she caught on and she's like, you don't remember who I am, do you? I was like, golly, I'm sorry, I don't. And she said, Joel, I rented your house for three years. And I was like, oh... I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man. When you remember someone, you remember their name, but their name is tied to so much else. You see, a name is uh, what Eugene Peterson says, is a name is kind of like this welcome to allow us to be a part of someone's life. Until there's no name, there's no relationship. No real relationship. But once there's a name, there's a relationship, and it's reciprocal, it's the start. Have you ever thought to yourself how amazing it is that Jesus slowed down to hear people's names? The God of the universe, knowing he only had three years of ministry, slowed down to know people's names. Isn't that amazing? It's shocking to me when you think about that. Names allow us to know and be known. Our names tell us something, and with their name comes a whole web of feelings and emotions, a whole web of thoughts and memories, knowledge and understanding. You see, Jesus knowing our names, your name, my name, means that he knows who I am individually. He knows my sins individually. He knows my desires, my longings, my passions individually. He knows you individually. The God of the universe slows down to know you. Our name for God is so much more than a collection of numbers when, or na uh, uh, letters. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, it's so much more than just God's work because the first phrase of that prayer is our Father. Your Father knows your name. He knows your longings, your hurts, your passions, your desires. It's all of us, our personhood. 
You see when the 72 return and they're like, Jesus, we're so stoked. Listen to what we're able to do. Jesus pulls them outside of their work and he says, rejoice, you're known. Your name is known. All that stuff is great, but he knows you. But he doesn't leave us there. He says our name is written. Have you ever noticed how God's name is not written in heaven? Like, there's no sign. Like, you know, you walk down a street and you go by like Moe's Tavern and you go by like the next person's place and it's like people's names. Like God's name, like we just don't see it. We see the apostles. We see the tribes of Israel. Whose name is written? It's people's names. Where are they written? Two places. First place should come straight to your mind, the Lamb's Book of Life, right? In the Book of Life, this, this like ledger of all of our names. Joel, Gavin, Herb. We read those things. And so often when we read long lists of names in the Bible, if you're like me, you're like, I can't pronounce 90% of these things. Skip, like fast forward, boop. Um, Lamb's book of life, your name is recorded there. When we read those genealogies, we ought to be reading our name there because you're a part of that genealogy. Your name is recorded by God as being his child. Your name is written in heaven. Permanence, place, entry. But it's not just written there. If you have your Bibles out, turn with me to the book of Isaiah. If you wanna know where that's at, go right in the middle and start going this way. Isaiah 49. First part of uh, verse 16. This is actually just really beautiful. I'm going to read kind of this little bit. Zion, which is Israel, starting in verse 17, it says, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. It's verse 14. Then verse 15, God responds back and says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you in my palms, in the palms of my hands. Did you know that right now the ascended Christ is in heaven in a physical body? Did you know that? Um, and not only is he in a physical body, but the ascended Christ carries the scars from the nails and the spears that killed him. In his physical body, he carries that. Uh, I had surgery a few years ago. I had a, about an inch and a half of my bladder removed because of a, of a tumor, a non-cancerous tumor. Um, and I have five scars. I won't show them to you. Don't worry about it. But I have five scars right along here where they cut into me. You know, every morning when I get up and I take a shower and I look at myself, I see the scars. And I remember, I remember the surgery. 
You see, friends, every day when Jesus, your advocate, goes before the Father, he has his scars. And those scars speak your name. You see, to remove your name from heaven would mean Christ would need to be thrown out of heaven because your name is engraved in his palms forever. (laughs) Now, what would you do to deserve that? Well, all you did was sin, right? Like, that's why Jesus had to go to the cross in the first place. And yet he carries in his flesh your name. Brothers and sisters, rejoice. Your name, it's written. Last phrase, in heaven. Heaven's this place. I, I just can't wait for it. Um, This last grouping of years has been such a signpost that this just isn't our home. Like, this world is kind of garbage. Um, And it'd be great to move on to heaven. Um, Not in a morbid way, don't worry about that. But um, in a real way, like, heaven has been on my mind. Heaven, this place where I'll be home, where I'll be fully known, fully loved, fully satisfied all the time. Where it'll never get old. Where where you'll walk down streets paved with gold and your house will be there. And there's plenty of room. I mean, Jesus assures us that in John 14. He says, there's plenty of room for everyone. Like if I leave, I'm preparing a place and you're going to come. That place, dear brother and sister, is heaven. That's the new earth that's coming, that we're awaiting and you will be there, and it'll never, like, it'll never get old. You won't wake up in the morning and think to yourself, shoot, I woke up again. You'll never wake up in the morning and have to deal with crippling depression. You'll never have to wake up in the morning and remember and mourn for the people who have died who you love. You'll never have to experience miscarriage or cancer or sadness or broken relationships. You will be whole in the fullest sense of the word. Every part of you functioning like it should. Your heart bent in joy and love for God the way you always hope it is here. Fulfilled, known, loved. I can't, I can't wait to walk down the street and be like, Sammy, that's Martin Luther. <laughs> like kind of, can you believe it? And I'd be like, hey, Martin, let's, let's, go, let's go grab a beer. <laughs> hey, Paul, let's go get a glass of wine and let's talk. It'll never get old. Always new. You see, this is our hope. The resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. Amen. That's our hope. Where do you feel a hole in your life? 
a gap that you long is fit, long to be filled, a place where you struggle. Maybe you've lost someone you love. Maybe you long to be married. Maybe you long for a child. You desire love. Maybe you live with life-altering altering pain. Heaven is your home, and it's waiting for you. It's secure. I have a friend uh, who went to be a missionary. His name's Brent Myers. Many of you know him here. Um, he's a good buddy of mine. Uh, he and I would meet often. He was, he was preparing to go onto the mission field. And we would always meet at Borden Brew in Del Mar because that's like some of the best sandwiches uh, in San Diego. I don't care what you say. Um, fight me. Uh, and we'd always get a sandwich and we'd get a bag of chips and we'd get our iced tea and we'd eat and we'd drink and we'd talk and then we'd go walk on the cliffs of Del Mar, you know, down by the train tracks. And we'd just talk about ministry. Hours just strolling on the beach, strolling on the cliffs, talking about life, talking about ministry. Um, one day we were out on the beach, and it was an especially beautiful day. And I looked at Brent, and I just said, Brent, man, this sure does feel like heaven to me. Like a thin space. You know those spaces where like you're, you're kind of like raised above what's going on, and you see, and you're like, it kind of feels like heaven. And Brent was like, no, 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 uh, Joel. Like, this is not, I mean, it's beautiful, but it's not heaven to me. So, well, what, what's heaven like for you, Brent? He was like, for me, heaven's kind of like being in a cabin in a forest, going and foraging for mushrooms and, and food, and being with my friend and seeing the animals and smelling you know that kind of like earthy smell? You see, friends, I can't tell you whether that's actually going to happen or not. But the joy that Brent and I experienced together in that moment is a dim reflection of the joy that we'll experience in fullness in heaven. Brothers and sisters, you may be a hard case. You probably are. I know I am. But here's solid truth for you. Rejoice in the hardness, in the joy, in the pain, in the success, because your name is written in heaven. May God make Resurrection Presbyterian Church a church who longs for their home and holds out the hope of the good news of the gospel that Jesus has bought that for them and holds it secure. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you with uh, such thankfulness in our hearts. Um, we are so often just total messes and yet you continue to press in and love us. Lord, um, we thank you that you, uh, you have died to make this real. <laughs> You've given us joy, joy that's outside of ourselves, outside of ourselves that looks to the cross, and we see that you have secured our place in heaven. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Um, fill our hearts with this joy. Especially now as we turn to the table and we partake these elements, Lord, turn our hearts to you with joy, we pray. For Christ's sake, amen.